Thanks so much for that, uh, worship team. I really appreciate it. I, um, you know, off the beating path, which is going to happen to me from time to time. Um, when my, I alluded last week that uh, I grew up um, in a family that was divorced and so my dad became a Christian pretty late when he was 30 or 31, uh, like late relative to a lot of what we're used to growing up in the church. And, um, and I just remember like being four uh, and him singing, you know, um, Jehovah Jireh and uh, How Great Thou Art and like all of these kind of like these choruses from back then, but then these hymns too. And every once in a while I just kind of sit and I go, man, like that just... That lands there for me. And lyrically, just what an incredible song of joy um, and of truth. I just, um, so, uh, Amberly, thanks so much for, for your, uh, you know, your song choices over the last three weeks have just floored me. We haven't talked about it one time, and I really appreciate it so much. So thanks so much for your leadership uh, in that area. Uh, let's pray a little bit before we get started here. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity that we have to uh, come together to worship, to pray, to sing, and to learn. And God, I pray this morning as we work through a few things out of your word this morning that you would teach us the things that you feel that we need to learn, draw us a little closer to you, um, and uh, just give us the confidence that we need not only to live in the way that you call us to, but also to call other people to that as well. Amen. So uh, the last couple of weeks, just as a quick review, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this section in Acts uh, called the Jerusalem Council. And what it is, is it was this meeting that a bunch of the early church leaders had because they were starting to reach out to other cultures and other places, to the Gentiles, to this culture that was different than their own because they were so excited to tell everybody about Jesus. And there were certain people that were certainly called and gifted to go out to that group. But they found that there was a few barriers along the way that we had talked about that were cultural. And so they got together, they had this big uh, meeting about it, and they decided on the best way to make sure that Jesus was still accessible to those who were trying to learn about him, but they could uphold uh, the integrity of the gospel without perhaps holding on too tightly to some of their traditions. And then last week, we talked about this idea that, you know, sometimes you're in a meeting and you decide something and then everybody walks away from the meeting. Um, you know, we do, before I'm here and every once in a while, we go into other churches, Lauren and I, and we talk to them about different things and, and we help them out. And, you know, there's one, there's one part of the process when a church is trying to get back on mission or refocus on an outreach ministry or whatever it is. Um, that they decide what they're going to do, but then the hard part is always implementation. It's that next piece. It's that follow-through. And so we talked last week about how, uh, you know, it, what you're saying really isn't true unless you actually follow through on that idea. And so we talked all about different ways that we can learn to follow through. And that kind of leads to this, this theme, this idea of integrity, which we're going to get to in a second. But as you know, I'm going to be a person that likes to give you as much context as I can because I think a lot of times the Bible really, when we read a story or a section of Scripture, it speaks for itself in the things that we want to learn as long as we know exactly what's happening before and after. So if we go a little bit further back, 
we remember that during this time period, it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. It's just not, right? That early church had a lot of struggles. They were under a ton of persecution. There were people coming after them all the time, people like Paul, who we're going to get to there in a second. And remembering that, you know, if Acts was written somewhere near 80 to 90 AD and Jesus was around uh, in the 30s, that Christianity wasn't legal. It wasn't something that was recognized as a religion that you weren't getting hunted down for until about 313 when Constantine declared it. So, and so you've got a 250-year, 200-year history of people sort of running around trying to spread the gospel and not get hunted down for it at the same time, right? Worship isn't legal. The spreading of the gospel causes a problem. Uh, There's no Bible as we know it, right? Our Bible is bound and Uh, put together and chaptered and versed and has like red letters and all that. That's not what they had. They had pieces. They They had the Old Testament. They had the Scripture and the Torah. And they had things like that and the prophets and the law. But then they had little pieces of the gospel here and there. But it wasn't all together yet for them. They had to share. They had to do it by memory. They had to work together. And one of the people that they had to run away from was this guy named Paul, who we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, who, again, most of you are going to know, but just in case this is your third week in a row and you haven't been here for a while, uh, Paul used to be this guy named Saul, and he was hunted. His job was to hunt down Christians, and he was very, very, very good at it, right? Uh, his, his job was to hunt down people that were trying to follow the way and eliminate them. And he had this very dramatic encounter with God along the road to Damascus, which is a story that some of us know, uh, where he was blinded, and then people came, and he sort of saw what God and Jesus was all about, and immediately flipped the switch, knowing that all the head knowledge that he knew was just connected with the heart knowledge and the reality of Jesus. And oh my goodness, Paul was ready to go. And Paul, which I'm sure you know, or maybe you don't, went on a whole bunch of what we call missionary journeys. Uh, And I've put a map up here, although not the greatest map that I could have, well, I I tried to get the greatest map and, you know, these things are hard to blow up. But uh, we can see here that he made four missionary journeys, generally speaking, um, uh, where he would start, he would visit a bunch of places, spread the gospel, and then he would come back, uh, sort of reset, and then he would go out again. And so in today's story, just for context, uh, we're on Paul's second missionary journey. So that's that red line, kind of starts down at the bottom and goes up through uh, Tarsus and all the way around. And in this one, he hits all the big places. He hits uh, Thessalonica, he hits Philippi, he hits Corinth, and then he comes back. So along this journey, if you were to read back, I skipped a little bit up in Acts to get to our story today, but if you were to read back between where we left off last week and where we are today, you'll see him journeying through all of these different places. Now there's one more thing that I want to talk about when we talk about Paul before we jump into, uh, first of all, talking a little bit about integrity and then our scripture, and that's this. Everything that Paul went through in his life, which includes the imprisonment that we're going to talk about today and the one that happened in Rome and all of the different trials along the way, he expected those things to happen. 
he knew as a person who was at one point enforcing this idea that Christianity wasn't something that you were supposed to be doing, that as soon as he made the switch, he was now on the other side of that rule. He knew and expected during moments that bad things were probably going to happen to him because of what he believed and because of what he was upholding. He knows this. So here's just the first question. When is the last time you did something where you, you knew was right, but you also knew the consequence was going to be bad? Right? How hard is that to do? Some of us have dealt, you know, we've, we've had a lot of those moments, I think, in the last two years <laughs> surrounding one particular issue uh, that is pervasive here in our whole world, right, where we've, you know, dealt with family differently or friends differently or work or this or that, and we've said, we really think this is right, but we know it's going to cause problems. Maybe it's a time that you shared the gospel that you just knew it was going to cause an issue. Maybe it was something you had to bring up at work. Yeah, somebody was doing something they weren't supposed to be doing, and you knew that the right thing to do was to uphold this idea but you also knew you were about to cause a firestorm that you were probably going to be in the middle of. That is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy moment. And Paul, knowing very well that he could give his life for his cause, chose to do it anyways. Not because he was super passionate about it or because he read about it in a book and he was inspired, because he absolutely knew that it was truth. Because he knew that what he was going around to say was the truth. He saw it. He witnessed it. He talked to other people who had seen it and witnessed it. He knew. He couldn't live without talking about this because it was right there. He just got it. And for him to run away from that would be for him to run away from the truth that he knew, to run away from the integrity that was within him. And so that's a little bit of backstory as to where we're headed. Now, I've used this word integrity a couple of times. And so I just wanted to define it for us really quickly. I don't know what you think about when you think of integrity, uh, but here's a couple of dictionary definitions here for you. The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. So, you know, you're a person of integrity. You have strong moral pr principles. You're upright. You hold to the things that you believe are right. The state of being whole and undivided. So, a lot of times this will talk about, um, you know, territories or places like countries, right? Our our country, our home, is whole. It has integrity. Uh, the condition of being unified, unimpaired, or of sound construction. So we, uh, some of us know people who do this. They make sure that, uh, you know, engineers, buildings are structurally uh, have integrity so that they don't fall over, so that they're whole. They're solid. They're built the way they're supposed to be built. And then internal consistency or lack of corruption in electronic data. I just threw this in there for James. Integrity checking on that, on, right? Have you ever tried to integrity check the internet? Don't do that. You're going to fail. You can't. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, Lauren, uh, my wife, we were talking about this this week, uh, who is way smarter than me in absolutely every way, said this. Um, she said, integrity is something that's judged when your story is told. Integrity is something that is judged when your story is told. I think, I thought that was a good point. Now, as adults, we all get this, right? The older we get, the more we grow up, the more we understand just sort of what this concept means. But I know, having been in family ministry and kids ministry for a while, that sometimes something like integrity is a bit of a tougher concept to grasp because it feels a little bit bigger. 
And so to honor and respect the fact that we don't have kids ministry right now and we do have some stuff going on, I've got a little bit of uh, an object lesson, an example, but I need a little bit of help. So Angus, can you come up and help me this morning? Can everybody give Angus a big hand as he wanders up? Now, I'm going to throw my mask back on here, so just uh, if you could just give me. All right, I'm good. Okay, so you are about to stare at one of my favorite board games as a child. This game is called Knockout. And it's kind of like this idea like Jenga. Have you ever played Jenga before? Yeah. Okay, so how this game works is you take this uh, rammer hammer. You can take that. And the idea of the game is pretty simple you want to try to eliminate as many of these blocks as you can, whilst holding the structural integrity of the wall. Now I'm going to tell you right off the bat if and when, because this doesn't work unless the wall actually falls eventually down, uh, you're going to have to pick all the pieces up. <laughs> so we're going to hope that they don't fall on the floor or we're going to have quite a journey. Okay. So if you're a kid, I want you to, to hang in here with me for a second. So integrity, when we're talking about it as adults, we use these big words. Honest, having strong moral principles, uprightness. What does that mean? Well, sometimes it just means, you know, you're doing something like, do you tell the truth to your parents or not, right? So it could be something simple. It could be, okay, so you see how there's ones that are like three and then two and then like there's like singles here. So if I say something like little, we'll do the one, and something bigger will be the two, and you get, okay. So let's start off with a little one. Find a little block, and let's say you just tell your parents you washed your hands after you went to the bathroom, even though you didn't. There we go. So now we're going to take that block, and we're just going to put it right back on top there. Oh, okay. Okay. You getting the hang of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's say uh, you're a kid and you, um, you know you've got homework to bring home, but you forget your textbook at school. So maybe that's a two. Maybe that's a two. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. We're just going right for the heart. This is great. Okay, so now, now you can see that as we start to chip away a little bit, maybe it's something we're being a little bit dishonest about. Maybe it's something we don't tell. Maybe it's one of those things that I just said before. It's you see somebody do something that you know is wrong, but you choose not to point it out. I don't know. What do you think? Is that a big one or a little one? I don't know. That's a two? Okay, let's, let's find a two. Oh, it's okay. The integrity block is still up somehow. We'll work on it together. So then all of a sudden your integrity starts to get a little, a little bit more shaky. What's, what's something else? You know what's something that uh, I think about? Like, uh, you know how, have you ever been to the grocery store and like an extra can of tomatoes ends up in your cart and it doesn't get scanned and you get all the way to the parking lot and you're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You're right, it's actually not. But to a certain degree, that little integrity piece that that's not mine and I actually wasn't supposed to take that exists. Right? I don't know, which, whatever you think. Is that a little one, a big one? Oh, here we go. Okay. And it's the tomatoes that kill our integrity. There's, did you bring any this morning? No? Okay. 
Okay, uh, let's get you uh, to pick, let's pick all these blocks up and we'll put them back in this box here, if we could. That would be really great. And we can see that it sometimes doesn't take much. Little bits here and there as we go, if you're a kid, are one of those things that sort of, ooh, there goes the rammer hammer, that take out our, our integrity. Our integrity is like what we believe in. It's like who we are. It's the thing that makes us whole. You can just throw me those ones from the bottom. Everybody, a big hand for Angus. Thank you so much. A man I'm sure of great integrity no matter what I do to you. Thank you very much. You just give me one second here with the mic. So, you know, we do that for the kids, even though, of course, I know all of the adults really like this stuff, too. We just don't say it because we, we need to act cool. Integrity is one of those things that influences our whole life. It's something that God requires of us to do what he needs us to do, and it's something that we are called to uphold. We talked last week about being separated, being different. That doesn't necessarily always mean acting different or standing on the corner with a soapbox, but that just means people that notice how you live your life. Notice that you're separate. We talked about being culturally separated last week. So let's jump into this story this morning because I love this story because I think Paul and Silas and the way that they uphold their integrity throughout this entire story is the thing that allows somebody to get to know Christ at the end. So let's read here from Acts 16 starting in chapter 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, remember uh, we there, uh, this is Luke writing, Luke is writing the book of Acts. Once we were going to the place of prayer when we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She had earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now she's yelling this thing, uh, these men are servants of the most high God. Sorry, I didn't give you split slides this morning. That's my fault. Uh, and you would think that's like a compliment or an encouragement, but if we look back, we see another time back in Mark chapter 7, which we're not going to jump to today, where Jesus calls out the evil spirit of somebody who's saying the exact same thing, right? You are a servant of the Most High God. This is actually, in this context, is a, uh, is a evil, is a demonic saying. And so this is somebody who's coming, and coming behind and patronizing and trying to discredit Paul and Silas the whole way through. So he says, you know what, that's enough of that. And he calls this demon and he says, get out of there, in the same way uh, that Jesus did. Let's keep going. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. It always comes back to that. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful, for us Romans to accept or practice. We talked about that a second ago. So 
Paul and Silas are singled out for a couple of reasons. One, they're a little bit more uh, evangelistic, right? They're, they're out in the streets. They're talking to people about the way, so they're noticed that way. Um, they appear to be Jewish, right? They're being accused of being Jewish. Actually, none of them in this group are fully Jewish. Luke is a Gentile. Timothy, who is with them at this point, is only half Jewish. And Paul and Silas uh, are both uh, Romans. <laughs> they look perhaps Jewish, but they're not. And so, first of all, these guys have been misinterpreted from their culture, uh, period. The second thing that happens here is that these people are upset because all of a sudden, <gasps> these guys have cast this demon out and now... This woman is no longer profitable to the owners. And so, well, we need to do something about that. We need to get rid of these guys. So the crowd joined the attack, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Remember, they know this can probably happen. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer... Uh, was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. So, first of all, they're thrown into prison on pretty loose charges, right? Everybody's just upset at them, which is enough. In that time period, if you're not a Roman citizen, if you are a Roman citizen, you have a ton of rights. You have the rights to a trial. You have a right to actually have something be proven. But in this case, they don't really have any. So they're just thrown in. And the, the description of this is really interesting because that inner cell in the stocks, they've already been beaten and stripped, but it still implies a, like a, a, an amount of torture. Like they're still being intentionally put in discomfort. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. First of all, when's the last time you were really going through it and that was your first instinct? I love that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Cool. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, now look at this, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Paul shouted, Paul, who was just taken off the street unjustly because he is a Roman citizen, was accused loosely of something, was beaten and tortured and thrown into prison to be continued to be tortured, and Paul yells to the jailer, don't harm yourself, we're all here. <laughs> whoa. That's, that's, a, that's a whoa for me. When I read the scripture, that's, that's me looking at Paul going, he believes in something much bigger than just him getting out. This jailer is going to kill himself, not the prisoners, because he knows that he's done. If all these prisoners go out, he knows he's in big trouble. But Paul says, wait, wait, don't. Instead, we're all fine. We're all here. Immediately, the jailer calls for the lights. 
And he rushes in and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You think God was working on this guy's heart? We're talking about being set apart. Sometimes being set apart isn't what you say. Sometimes it's how you act. It's how you hold on to your integrity. These guys... This, this jailer knew everything that happened to these guys before they got here, yet while he was looking after them, they were singing and praying and worshiping. And in the moment where this jailer was at his absolute lowest, you would think Paul and Silas are down there too, and Paul says, wait, don't hurt yourself. God has a plan for you. So, so cool. I just love that. This is how God wants our lives to be, I think. Natural magnets that draw people towards him. Just natural magnets that draw people towards Jesus. The way that we live, the way we uphold the things that we know to be true should make the people around us go, man, I want to be a part of that. I don't know what that guy who just got beaten in the street and embarrassed and dragged off to jail and still worshipped his God but he's got something that I don't have. And in my lowest moment, he reached out to me. How can I get a piece of that? So they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took him, washed his wounds, and immediately all in his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with this order, release those men. So they would do this. If you were doing something that they didn't want you to do, sometimes it would be a longer punishment, but sometimes they would just take you, rough you up for a night, intimidate you a bit, and then they would send you on their way. This is one of the tactics. But Paul said to the officers, they beat up, oh, I think I skipped a verse, sorry. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. You can go now, live in peace. But Paul said, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. Uh-oh, that's the first time everybody figured that out. And threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us? No, let them come and escort us out themselves. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and they had heard that Paul and Silas were Roman. They were alarmed, because now they know they're in trouble. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, who they were there just before, in a, in a few verses before. They met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and they left. So Paul and Silas, for one reason or another, they haven't disclosed their Roman citizenship yet. It doesn't really matter why or why they didn't. But what we do know is the magistrates all of a sudden are panicked because they're like, uh-oh, we probably should have taken a minute to ask who these guys were. We made an assumption. But this whole way, no matter what everybody else around them did, whether it was other leaders or the person who owned the slave or the jailers, Paul and Silas and the rest of the disciples held on tightly to the things that they knew were true. So here's a couple of things that I love about this story. They're not going to be a surprise. The first one, 
is that Paul and Silas follow through, just like we talked about last week, on exactly what they know is the truth. They say nothing's going to keep us from spreading this. Nothing's going to keep us from separating ourselves, from acting in a way that God calls us to act. (laughs) Because we know that it's true. And if we don't do that, (laughs) it's actually not upholding our integrity as people. I love, second thing, I love how Paul and Silas didn't escape the jail. They helped the jailer escape. That jailbreak wasn't for Paul and Silas. It was for the jailer and his family. That's not something you hear about very often. But it's true. God orchestrates things that we don't understand, that we don't see coming, but when we can hold on to our integrity and do the things that we believe in, God uses us in those moments. And in that moment, even though Paul and Silas could have left, they went, no, we're here for you. Let's talk about that. That's so cool. And then the third thing I just like is Paul and Silas kept doing what they knew was important. They kept doing what they were called to do, what their life um, was all about. For me, when you hold on to your integrity, God um, can do some pretty cool things through you, I think. God can work through you and your integrity First, because integrity means not only that you have that, but it means that you have a little bit of credibility, right? We've all been in situations or scenarios where we say something to somebody, and even though we mean well and we know that it's right, they just don't believe us. They look at us and go, you haven't built up the amount of credibility that we need for me to be able to hold on to the things that you're saying and trust your integrity. As Christians, that's something we really need to think about. We need to think about this idea that as we go about our lives and we act, I talked a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, about not being the same person or different people in a couple of places. Um, It's important to make sure that we hold that throughout all the different places that we have so that in moments where the jailer needs saving, we actually have the integrity to pull that off. The second thing that integrity gives you is conviction, especially in your faith. When you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, when you know what's going on, you're convicted by that. It's not even a question. We've talked a little bit um, as a group, as a staff team, about you know the mission of the church or what that looks like. And we all know that in the end, mission decisions are a lot easier when we're focused and when we have uh, credibility and accountability with ourselves and other people, but also we're convicted on what we're supposed to be doing. This particular block appears to have lost its structural integrity. There we go. And the third thing is another thing that Paul and Silas and the rest of them talked about was consistency. They were always consistent. They always followed through on the things that they said they were going to do because they knew that it was important. I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends the other week, and I made just kind of an offhanded comment about integrity. And they kind of laughed, and they went, ha, we don't have any of that. Now, I know that that's not true about them. But sometimes we can feel like we don't have any. 
sometimes we can feel like it gets broken down. We can feel like, well, we maybe made a mistake in the past. We're not sure. Have we done too much? Are we going to, you know, are we going to be judged too harshly? Have we gone too far? Does God really want me? The cool thing about the saving grace that God provides is that even though we knock all of these bricks out, he can rebuild them. He can put us back whole. And nobody loves a story about somebody putting back, being put back whole more than these Bible stories that we read. This happened to the jailer. The jailer wasn't whole. And Paul and Silas came in and they upheld what they believed was right. And they made that jailer whole too. So, I would challenge you to focus on that thought this week. As we're consistently going throughout our lives, as we read our Bible, as we pray, but also as as we act, are we upholding the integrity that we need (laughs) to be the people that God is calling us to be to those who he doesn't know yet? And when you run into somebody who goes, you know what, I am too broken, you look at them and whether you use this story or a hundred other stories in the Bible or a hundred other stories from your life or a goofy game from the middle of the 90s, you say, God is not done with people, and he can always rebuild you no matter how far the pieces have flown. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you provide us a way to learn. God, thank you that you provide us a way to always come back to you. God, I pray as people now more than ever in today's culture more than any other time, God, The integrity, the way we carry ourselves as followers of you is really, really important. It's going to influence the people around us. It's going to allow people to see you through. And God, I pray that you would work on us through that. And God, for those who aren't feeling that confident about that particular area, that are maybe feeling a little bit further away, a little bit too far gone, God, I pray that you would work on their hearts too. Let them know that they're not. There's never a moment, God, where you stop chasing us. You sent your son to the world to die on a cross so that we could live, God. And even though sometimes we don't feel that way and we don't feel worthy of it and we don't feel like that's something that is for us, God, I just pray for those who are struggling with that, that you would work on their hearts and say, yes, it is for you. And then you would bring somebody of integrity and behind them to say, yeah, that is for you. God, give us the confidence and the wisdom to learn that and to do that every day. In Jesus' name, amen.